Well, very good. Well, good morning. Yes, September is officially upon us, which uh, many call that peak wedding season, but I'm finding in Texas that just means football season. That turns out. Very good. <laughs> I wasn't sure how that would be responded to either. Uh, it, is, it is so good. I'm really. It's so good to be able to come together and to worship our King. Through all the seasons and, and elements of life that take place. As you do think about a wedding, though, I, I do want to capture something about that element as we begin our text, as we continue on in the book of 2 Timothy. In a wedding, my favorite part is at the very beginning, one of my favorite parts, I should say, is the very beginning of the ceremony. As the bride comes down the aisle, ideally on the arm of her father, representing the authority of her youth. Walking down the aisle, there is one who stands in which that authority is submitting to the new authority that's coming as the bride is being given over. And the question is given by the officiant, who gives this, this woman, this bride, to be united to this man, to this groom? And the people over her and her authority, representing the authority of her youth, would say something like, her mother and I, or I do. And this transition of authority takes place. And this, this woman has now pledged herself to be committed to this one who has pledged himself to watch over her, to shepherd her, to care for her, to watch over and to protect her and to provide for her for the, all of the remaining days. <clears throat> this image is wonderful for you and I to grasp and to get our mind around as we come to our text this morning. You and I are those that have been called out of the world the Bible presents this picture that you and I are under the, the bonds of the world, that we are slaves, we are servants of the world before coming to Christ, before being freed from the authority of the world by the goodness of the gospel that has the power to loosen us from the grips of the world and Satan, and we are given over now into the authority and under the authority of Jesus Christ, who is our groom. He is our groom. So, so we're, we're to leave the world and to be united to the great groom who is Jesus Christ, the perfect groom, the righteous groom, the one that delivers all things. And so the Bible presents this narrative until the very end in which the bride, is, she is preparing herself. The church, she is preparing herself, looking forward to the ultimate coming of the groom for his bride. And Revelation picks up on that theme again and again and again, to aim for purity and faithfulness in life as we await the groom. Well, as we look at our text this morning, you and I, as the bride of Christ, we are called to give forth testimony of our groom. Three factors we see in our text. We're going to see that we're called faithfully to, to tell the world, to leave the world, to leave that no good world, and instead to, to come and entrust himself to the authority of the great groom, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we testify about our groom, three things, that he suffered for us, that he saves us, and that he sends us. And in our text, we'll see that the testifying about our groom, the testifying about Jesus Christ, will leave the world in a position to either entrust themselves to become a part of the bride of Christ, but those that will not will respond in bristling ways, desiring to shame and to silence the bride, and yet they will not be faithful. 
they will not be successful, I should say, as the bride remains faithful through all of those seasons. So as we look at our text this morning then, I want you to, to ready in your mind this imagery of the wedding. As you and I, as the bride of Christ, are called to be faithful, my prayer for us this morning, regardless of your age, is that you would count yourself emboldened in your faith, but also encouraged to strive for purity in your life. As you are the bride of Christ, you are the bride of of Christ. So let's begin as we look this morning at the first of these two truths that God has commissioned us, you and I, to testify to the world regarding our groom. This is our calling. We see first and foremost that he is the one who suffered for us. We're to tell the world about the one who suffered for us. Verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible again, as always, you can feel free to take that pewback Bible in front of you. Paul says to Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Remember, Paul is in chains as he's writing this. He says, But share in my suffering for the gospel of the power of God. That word testimony is the word that we see transliterated over as martyrdom, the same root there. The idea of testimony is that you're giving an evidence of proof of something. You're saying, I am aligned to this. I am giving an, a like statement of fact about this one. And, and as Christians, our testimony is about Christ. You've heard that word before, haven't you? Testimony. Somebody's going to give a testimony. When anyone joins our church at Grace, as a matter of fact, you see an insert in your bulletin there about a, a host of individuals that have gone through our new member classes that, that speak about what we believe, distinctives as, as a church family, and how we do ministry and, and believe we're called to commit ourselves together to encourage each other in faithfully growing as Christians, defining our relationships, if you will, and our commitment one to another. And then after that, those classes are done. It is in our very constitution that, that they are to share their testimony with an elder who listens. But here's what I want you to catch. Every Christian has the same testimony because our testimony is ultimately about Christ. We just have different settings. You know what I'm saying? So the setting in which I came to Christ is different than you. And the, and the setting in which you came to Christ is different than somebody on the other side of the world. But we have all the same testimony in that we've all been freed from the bondage of sin and death and slavery to this world by the passions and desires and trappings. And we've been freed now by turning from sin and placing our faith and trust alone in Jesus Christ to now live for Christ to be bondservants of Jesus, to be followers of Jesus Christ in our life. And by default of that, ever since that moment, we've been called to be faithful, individually, but also as a part of the bride of Christ, the local church, to be going forward to make disciples of Jesus Christ for his glory and his honor and his praise. This is every one of our testimonies, regardless of your age. This is our testimony. It simply finds itself in a different setting in each of our lives. Matter of fact, on Tuesday morning, our elders, we meet on Tuesday morning at 6 to pray for you and to encourage you and, and, and to overview ministry. But during that time, we share about the testimonies that we've heard in meeting with, with individuals. And I don't know that there was a dry eye in the room on Tuesday morning as we saw how God's good power is able to intervene in people's life 
who've come from suffering difficulties and in the entrapments of the world, some coming to faith in Christ at a very young age, and some coming to faith in Christ after the world has, has beaten them and used them. And yet God's freedom that he brings by the power of the gospel, he is the one who suffered for us. And to hear how they've been freed in their life, to share in this testimony of suffering, because the world does not celebrate the things that we now celebrate. The world does not celebrate the things that we are now free in Christ to celebrate. Being ashamed of Christ ultimately is that of avoiding displeasure. And Paul tells Timothy, this young, this young minister, listen, don't be ashamed, even if it means as you identify with Christ, the suffering servant, that you also are forced to suffer. Now, I doubt that, that the Lord would call many of us to ever experience suffering in chains as believers, but there are millions of believers that do face that reality. But what you and I do have to ask ourselves as we identify with Christ and his suffering is, will you and I, are we willing to be faithful to whatever awkwardness he calls us to in identifying with him? Are we willing to push ourselves outside of our comfort zones for him? To identify in suffering as believers? And we know what that looks like to some extent. For a teenager today, that means to have incredible social pressures. To identify yourself with the word of God means that you will be different than the world. And you will feel unbelievable pressures. And others of us know what it's like to have family members that did not know Christ, and we know our calling to, to pray for them, to know, come to know Jesus, and we also know our calling to be bold, to consider sharing of the suffering Jesus with them. The call to come to Christ, listen, I want to be clear here, the call to come to Christ is not a bait and switch. The call to come to Christ is one in which we openly look and say, he is our suffering Savior, and I am identifying with him. And if he should call me worthy to suffer, I will do so. For you and I on a daily basis, that simply means, Lord, as your spirit convicts me and I spend my identity in the goodness of your word, I'm willing to do what you call me to do. It could be as small as the boldness that it took for some of you, if this is your first time visiting with us, that takes courage to be new in a new place. To say, I identify with Christ. Baptism is a public testimony. I baptized one woman, uh, a military woman, in, uh, back in Missouri. And we were getting ready, I was getting ready to baptize her, and she said, I just want to let you know I am deathly afraid of water, so I might freak out. And I was like, what do I do? What if she drowns me? She could probably easily have taken me. She's in the military. <laughs> but for her, it was an unbelievable testimony of faith. And it's identifying with the one who suffered for us, who saved us and sends us to, to live a life of obedience for him. And we, we're, we're privileged this morning. I'll ask them to stand up if they will. Uh, Jeff and, and Greta Simon, would you guys stand up for us? These are some of our missionaries. Let's, let's thank them. I appreciate them volunteering to sing a special music this morning. Come on forward. No, that's, that's not true. That might take more boldness than living overseas, right, in missions. I know it would for me. Uh, but the Lord is, uh, they're, they're going to be back with us for, for a season here as they prepare and are, are prayerfully going uh, to Athens, Greece. And so be praying for them. But that takes incredible faithfulness. Be willing to say, Lord, as you lead in my life, I'm willing to go, even if it's an awkward conversation or even if it may be going into a place of hostility. And so we follow in their example every day to identify with the suffering servant. 
We have to remember the one who suffered for us. We don't come to Christ to find ourselves. We come to Christ to do what? To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow him as the bride of Christ. So he's the one who suffered for us, but he's also, secondly, in 9 and 10, he's the one who saved us. He's the one who suffered for us, and he's the one who saved us. Verse 9 and 10. He said, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God called us not simply to be saved, but to live out a holy calling. If your and my purpose were only to be saved, the second we came to Christ, we would right, we'd just be gone. We'd go and vanish and be with Christ until he returned. But we're saved and we're left. We're left to testify about the one who has saved us. Specifically, what's he say in verse 9? Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. We're called to live as salt and light in the world. That, that phrase, to live as salt in the world. In the Old Testament, when a covenant was made, they would take salt and throw it. And the idea was if you and I made a deal and you walked out on the deal that we know that we made, that salt still gives a testimony. We know that salt is there and you can't retrieve it. The salt is evidence of our agreement and our commitment. So when Jesus says that we're to live as the salt of the earth, we are evidence, we are fruit of his faithfulness to bring salvation to the world, to the nations, to testify of the one who saved us. This is our calling. We're not simply to be saved. We're called to continue in our life to strive for a holy calling. What do you and I bring to the table in our salvation? We bring our sinfulness. We bring our sinfulness. This is important to unpack. Because we can make the mistake, I think, of thinking, you know what, I'm probably 25% good and righteous. And I need Jesus to, to kick me over that 75%. I just need to take a little loan out from Jesus. Jesus, can I borrow 75%? I think I'm pretty good in this part of my life. Can you kick me over the top? The scriptures present, as very much as Stephen did such a great job setting up for us and, and speaking to us, is that no, you and I are woefully offensive to God. It's that our lives, as Isaiah says, are like filthy, nasty, offensive rags to God. And that's offensive to us because we look and we say, but I do good things. I, I don't do all bad things. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach that God actively sustains everything that we do. In multitude of conversations I've had with, with friends who, who are not believers, they've said, Brent, I don't need to follow Christ in order to do good things. And I, I say, I agree with you. But your standard of good actually isn't accurate. It'd be like the child. If you're a parent, you understand this. Let me, let me see where I'm going here. If the parent asks the child, will you go clean your room? And the child says, I'm going to clean my room, not because you asked me to. Matter of fact, I don't even need you to ask me to. I'm going to do it because I want to do it. And the child cleans the room. Is that child a good, righteous, obedient child? No. No. They're not honoring their parent in that. God sustains our every single breath. Every single breath. And our, our, our temptation to cut him out of our lives to think, you know what, I can just do a good thing for somebody with no ulterior motives. The very fact that we're created in the image of God is that we're to do all that we do for the glory of God, the one who saved us. 
so that what I do is I can preach a sermon on my own means and my own desires, and this does not honor God. But even the good things that we do, we're to do them for the glory of God, and we cannot do that on our own. You see, all that we bring to the table, as this text points out, is our sin. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us, he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. If you are in Christ, you're in Christ because it's 100% Christ's righteousness and his goodness that's been lavished over onto your account and my account before God. And that's good because I know me and you know you. It takes a righteous, holy Savior who saved us to give us confidence before God. You can have confidence before God. You can have peace with God if you'll entrust yourself to Christ. What should that do in our life? It should make us live a gracious style of living. A life of humility and joy as we point other people to the only one who is able to make us right. It's not me. It's not you. It's him. He's our groom. He can be your groom. Unite yourself to the one who suffered for us, who saved us, and also the one who ultimately sends us. Verse 11. The one who sends us. Verse 11 says, For which I was appointed, Paul speaking, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher. I alluded to this in our very first sermon in this series that we would be discussing a little bit more of apostleship. The word basic at its, at its core means sent one. You are a sent one. But there's a special office of apostles. There were these New Testament prophets and apostles that spoke forward the inerrant word of God that served a particular purpose to testify about Jesus. And they are made up of the apostles who are the disciples minus Judas plus Matthias plus Barnabas, plus James. And these were particular people that God appeared to, the resurrected Jesus Christ appeared to, and commissioned them off for a particular purpose to testify of Christ. And God gave them a specific gifting, and a specific office to speak for the inerrant word of God. And what they did according to Ephesians 2.20 is they laid a foundation with, chief, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And that foundation, is, as, the, as the epistles tell us, is the once and for all delivered faith to the saints. The how often? The once for all delivered faith to the saints. That we have salvation in Jesus Christ. They served a particular purpose for the glory of God in a season in which we now have the inerrant word of God to which we build our life. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he refers to himself as one untimely born. So the apostles were able to, to testify of Christ, as Paul is one here. They testify of Christ. They were commissioned by the resurrected Christ. But they're also able to do these miracles that testified of the authenticity of the gospel message. These incredible miracles of people that are blind all of a sudden becoming able to see. People that are unable to walk from, from birth, able to now walk. One boy potentially that, that died and then is brought back to life. These are incredible miracles that validate. They're not just done in themselves. They validate the goodness and truth of the word. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, that he is untimely born. 
he is untimely born, which means the rest of the apostles saw the resurrected Christ and were commissioned by him. Jesus ascended, but then he appeared to Paul. So he says, I was unnaturally born. I was born a little bit later. I was made an apostle a little bit later. So let me ask you a question. If Paul is one unnaturally born, what would Bob be if Bob today in 2018 said, hey, by the way, it turns out I'm an authoritative apostle. <laughs> if Paul's unnaturally born, what would that person be? A danger. That's what they would be. You should have sirens going off. That would be dangerous. So Paul says he is one who is sent by God. These men that spoken of God, giving an errant word of God that we have preserved for us that we're to do what? To preach forth, to call people to entrust yourself to the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and to teach on, to teach about. Every one of us in our lives is called to be sent for the goodness and glory of God, to speak forth the Lord. So if you have children, you're called to teach to them about the Lord. You're called to call them to faith in our Lord. This is our responsibility one to another. We are called sent out ones. Every day when we finish our service, we go out as sent out ones called to call people to faith in Christ. We are called to call people to faith in Christ. This is our responsibility. This is your responsibility. It's not just mine. It's our responsibility to go forward and tell people about the chief cornerstone. It's our responsibility to tell people about our groom. That's our calling. That's your job. God has uniquely placed you here for a season. So, so students, let me speak to you in particular. You came here for an education, but God didn't just send you here to SFA to get an education and go get a job. He cares about your sanctification, your growth in Christ-likeness. The desire is that you would be able to grow in, in, in your faith, to be disciple-makers, to be a people for the glory of God committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ so that as you're sent out, you would go forward as disciple-makers into your specific careers. Don't go to school with the mindset of, I want to get this job, I want to get this degree only. But go to say, I want to be sent out into this mission field for the glory of God, and I need to prepare myself spiritually to be an effective missionary as God sends me there. Whatever the career field is, you go as a missionary. Invest this time of your life. I want to share one example on that before we move on to our second element. In Missouri, there was a man who was very wise, wise in faith, and uh, his health was failing him, and he was in a little farmhouse. His wife had already passed away. And I asked him, I said, how can I pray for you? And he said, well, his health was failing, and we had prayed for his health for some time. He wasn't getting any healthier. And he said something I've never heard somebody say before, and I think it's unbelievably wise to share this story with you right now. He didn't ask me to pray for him to heal. He said, I think God is wanting to send me to be a missionary into the care home. So he said, would you pray that I would learn to accept that and embrace that? Because he didn't want to get rid of his home that he had all the memories of with his, widowed, with his wife who had passed away. But he knew God wasn't done with him because he was still alive. And so he asked that I would pray that he would have boldness to be sent into the care home to minister to the nurses and the other residents until he would die. Right. You and I are sent in every season of our life, in every circumstance, because our groom calls us to go. Will you go with me? He goes with us. 
He's the, he the God who ultimately who has commissioned us to testify to the, to the world regarding our groom. And secondly, he is the God who, who sustains his bride despite those who remain married to the world. We call all people of all backgrounds, of all languages, of all nations to come to Christ. It's an open invitation for anyone to come to Christ. But those that will not come will have a repulsive reaction to eventually silence them. And this makes sense because they're married to the world. They're entrapped to the world, but they're married to the world, if you will. They're under the authority of the world. Again, this makes sense. If you came and you insulted my wife to me, we would have problems. Does it make sense? You and I calling people out of the world are calling them to divorce themselves from the world and to come to Christ. So if they, if they rebuff your invitation, how ought they to respond? Logically, they should respond, like, I don't like that. And therefore, I don't want you to say that. And there's a desire to shame until they can silence them because of their un unity to the world. Every one of us, if you have a testimony in Jesus Christ, you have been called to divorce yourself from the world and your authority and be united to Christ. But we live in the world, so we should not be shocked at hardships that come our way. Look what Paul says in verse 12. See, the world will attempt to shame and silence the bride of Christ. It says in verse 12, the very beginning, which is why I, Paul, suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. He is not ashamed to be united with Christ. So if he says I'm not ashamed, what's the assumption that the world is trying to do to him? By his chains, literal chains. They're trying to do what to the gospel? Shame the gospel and shame anyone that identifies with the gospel. But as we talked about last week, our identity is with Christ the crucified and resurrected Savior. That's our identity. He is the one we identify with. And Paul says, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. This is, this is a consistent theme. I'll give you two references. You can write them down if you like. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And Romans 6.21, but what fruit were you getting at that time? So speaking of before they came to Christ. From the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. You used to be joyful in the way of the world. But now you're ashamed of that because you're united to Christ. In the Old Testament, this happens again and again. Do you remember Joshua? How often does God tell him, be strong and courageous? Why does God tell him that? Because he's in a situation that's fear-inducing and intimidating. We're called to be unashamed to be united with Christ. And Paul himself is not somebody around there who just says, I, I got this. He, he prays, I'll give you the reference, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. He prays multiple times for boldness. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly or boldly make known the mystery of God. Nothing to do with this means that it's easy. There are millions of Christians today in China that have to face the threat of vamping up physical persecutions. I read recently that President Xi Jinping began a five-year plan to infuse all religions, 
Christianity, one of them, with a, with a commitment overall to the state, the communist state. So in doing that, what's already happened in the last year is that thousands of house churches have been hunted down and shut down. Countless Bibles have been seized. Crosses on churches have been torn down and replaced with communist flags. They've shut down a multitude of Christian camps. And in some locations, many locations, they forbid minors from attending the church. I, I tried to, to trace the background of a particular comment that was given. I couldn't find the exact source. All that I found was a Chinese, I found a multiple different places of a Chinese Christian. There was no name given to it. They said in their church, they pray often for the Christians in America and our ability to handle prosperity because they are handling their, pro their persecution for Christ much better than we handle our prosperity. That statement has still rung in my ears since I, since I heard it. A call to be identified with Christ is a call to identify him regardless of what pressures or shame the world may put on us. For some Christians around the world, it's a, that's the cost of physical persecution. For others of us, it's a cost of abundance and a desire to trust him and whatever his spirit convicts us to do. Whatever the pressures that we face, Yet the goodness of all of this is, is, is that what? That the world will fail to shame and silence the bride in verse 12. The world will fail to shame and silence the bride as it continues on. He says, for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted or deposited to me. He says, the world will try to silence me and to shame me by these chains. But Paul says, I am not ashamed of these chains. But I'm with Christ. They can't shame me. Because I know he's deposited to me. And he's able to guard me until that day, until the Lord's coming or my final breath. He is able to guard me, regardless of what takes place. One of the beauties of baptism, we'll be having our, our baptism class next Sunday over in the office, in our conference room at, at 9 o'clock. Or you can sit down anytime with, a, with an elder or pastor and discuss baptism. One of the beauties of baptism is that it is a public declaration. You're with the body of Christ, but it's a public declaration of identification. It's a public pledging of allegiance. That says, I am with Christ. I believe in his life and his death and his resurrection. That I am hidden in Christ, and Christ is hidden in God. And I am his, and one day future, just as Christ literally rose from the dead bodily, I believe one day I will receive a new glorified resurrected body, and I will reign with him, and I will be with him. It's a public declaration. That is a moment of infuriation in a world that desires to silence and to shame the gospel. If you've not taken that step in your life, I encourage you to take that step in your life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Paul says that he's permanently placed his trust in Christ. As a matter of fact, this word of confidence, he says, I am sure. It's the same word back in verse 5. You can write it down. If you've got your Bible open, you can just look right there. It's the same word he uses in verse 5. He says back in verse 5, of Timothy's faith, I am I'm reminded of your sincere faith and a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. For now I am sure, that's the same word, dwells in you as well. And he gives it again right here. That he is able, that God is able 
to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He says, I am convinced. I am assured. I am assured. Do you know Jesus Christ? If you know Jesus Christ, is there an area in your life that you find yourself stumbling? Our God has entrusted to you and I a multitude of good works. What is the thrust of this sermon? What is the thrust of this text? As you and I would be faithful in identifying ourselves publicly with Christ, that we would be unashamed to say, no, no, I am with Jesus. Not obnoxiously, but lovingly and genuinely and graciously that we would give an invitation to the world every day, every one of our friends and family and neighbors and co-workers that, knows, that does not know Christ, that they can be united to the groom. And to understand if the world does not respond with warm feelings, that's okay. Because the way that we respond is this text, by the way, spoiler alert in chapter 2. He says, when we respond humbly and gently that God may use our humbleness in the face of adversity to warm people's hearts, that God may grant them repentance leading to eternal life. God will be glorified if we're free to proclaim Christ without persecution, and he will be glorified when you and I proclaim Christ in the face of adversity. All of this leads us to our next steps. The first one is this. Have you ever responded to Christ's proposal to leave the world. If you've not responded to Christ's proposal to leave the world, that is your next step. And I pray that you will do so. I call you to do so. I ask you to do so. To turn from your life of, of, of sin and self-leadership and entrust yourself to Jesus Christ, the perfect Savior, the perfect righteous groom who calls you to himself. Use your Connect card, call us, text us, email us. We want to sit down with you and help you walk in that way. But confess him publicly and unashamedly that if you believe in your heart and confess him with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Know the joy of being united to Christ. But the next step is this, and the majority of you in here, I would, I would imagine, know Christ. If you know Christ, look at your life. And in what areas are you most tempted to date the world? Yes, you're married to Christ. Yes, I'm married to Christ. I'm his bride. We're his bride. But as you look at your own life, is there an area that you're tempted and enticed by the things of the world? And if there is, put together an action plan. Just like a good business has a good business plan. Put together an action plan, anticipating where you're going to be tempted to pursue the world this week. And commit yourself to the Lord every day. Thank him for his perfect grace. Our king is worthy of all of our lives. Do you know him? Do you know him? He invites you to come to him. Let's sing to him after we first speak to him. Let's pray. Well, Father, you are so good to us. You are so kind to us that you have given us your word. You have given us this foundation that you gave to the, the apostles and prophets You've preserved it sufficiently for us that we can know Jesus Christ, that you rescue us, that you know the depths of our sin and brokenness, and yet you call us to be married to Jesus Christ, that we can be made as pure as a bride on her wedding day, truly pure, because Christ bore on his body the burden of our sin. Father, help to make us a people that are unashamed 
to be your bride in this world. And God, we pray that you would bring a multitude of people to come and to know you as king, to identify with you unashamedly, to be yours. Father, you are good and your plans are assured. We have our confidence in Jesus Christ, our hope of glory. And all God's people said together, amen. Let's sing.